0: aspire to continue to create a place in Vector where people can learn, they can grow, and they can dream. When I think about dreams, I think they bring hope. Hope brings power to the present moment. I've learned to be careful what you say to yourself because you're always listening. I really have to be conscious of how I speak to myself and what I choose to pay attention to and what I don't because it can set me in two different directions. And. I've also learned being nervous or a bit uncomfortable is a sign that you're in the right spot. Set a goal, get a coach, learn from the best, get a plan, write that goal down in as many places as possible, have a why, get clear, follow through. The minute you commit to the decision is the second your life will never be the same.
1: That's Angie McDougal, the National Sales Manager for Vector Cutco in Canada. Throughout her life and career, Angie has come upon some key moments of decision, and she has learned to choose the more challenging path. As one decision has built on another, Angie has elevated herself to become one of the most powerful role models I've ever met. A successful executive, wife and mother of two, an Ironman triathlete, and a philanthropist who gives back to her community and others. Through hearing her stories and lessons, you can also find the inspiration and courage to make decisions that can alter your life for the better. I'm honored to share with you here this shining example of all-around success, my longtime friend and colleague, Angie McDougall. Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world All
2: right. Welcome, everyone. I'm here today with Angie McDougall. And Angie is the National Sales Manager for Vector in Canada. And uh, interestingly enough, Angie's been in the business now for 25 years. And today, the day we're recording this interview is precisely Angie's 25th anniversary in the Vector Cutco business. So Angie, congratulations on 25 years in the business. That's awesome.
0: Yeah, it is awesome. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Well, tell us a little bit about, uh, how you got started with the business, uh, 25 years ago.
0: Okay. Yeah. So I was, uh, just finished my second year at university in the city of Calgary. We were about a month away from final exams. And, uh, a friend of mine that I grew up with in my hometown, uh, we were chatting and he said to me, what are you going to do for your summer job? And I said, uh, I'll probably go back to, uh, my hometown and do construction. Like I did the last few summers. And he said, Oh, okay. And that, you know, prompted my, well, what are you gonna do? And he said, uh, well, I'm gonna make ten thousand dollars. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> that's, that's cool. <laughs> How are you gonna do that? He's like, I'm gonna sell knives. And I was like, Oh, right, good for you. And that was about the end of my excitement for that.
2: It's and a little said, weird, right? Selling yeah, knives.
0: Yeah, it was actually very weird. And then uh he said, You should check it out. You should do it with me. And I said, uh yeah, I don't think so. I have never sold anything. And he said, uh, no, honestly, you should check it out. He's like, I've been doing it for a few months part time. The product's really great, sells itself, good training. Plus, it'd be fun to work together. And I was like, yeah, no, there's no way I can make enough money for school selling knives. Like, I don't think I could do it. And he goes, no, 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 you should really check it out. And I was like, I don't know. And then he goes, he looks at me and he goes, uh, what are you going to do? Um, you know, what do you want to do when you graduate? And I was like, wow, you know, I'm taking a business degree, or, you know. And he goes, okay, so when you graduate and you go in for an interview and your degree, your resume, sorry, looks exactly like everybody else's except for it says you can move heavy machinery and make some lawns look really nice from your landscaping. Do you think it's really going to separate you? Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, fair enough. Probably not. And he goes, why don't you just check it out? The manager's actually at the school today taking applications. Just come over with me. I'll introduce you. Just check it out. And I was like, okay, fine. So I went to the table, checked it out. The manager at the time is actually right now, the general manager of back to Canada, but he was at the table and he, filled an application and said, Hey, you know, invited me to the office for an official formal interview. And so I said, okay, I'll check it out. And I remember he said to me, you know, dress professionally. And I was like, okay. You know, I went home and I was like, uh, borrowed clothes from my roommates. Um, I didn't have a car. I never went to that side of the city. I was like, okay. So anyway, went to the interview. I remember my friend was telling me, he, you know, I really enjoyed it. I thought I'd give it a shot. And I still remember sitting in the interview, seeing, uh, at that time, you know, the knives and hearing about the experience and I was a bit skeptical, but I was also very excited to get a job that could help me make more money, but get me out of my hometown and have me live in the city for the summer. So, so I went through that and at the end, I got accepted. So, you know, I was pretty excited. And after I got out of the interview, I went back home and ended up telling my uh, friend, you know, about the job I got. And they were excited and they said, oh, that's great. You get to stay in the city. What are you going to do? And I said, oh, it's great. It's great. I'm going to sell knives. And they were like, you're going to do that for a job? And I was like, yeah. They're Like, like, like for like money. I'm like, yeah. Oh, like how, like door to door. And I was trying to explain, no, it's actually through referrals and I get paid if they don't buy anything. And it's, you know, it's really great. And they were like, Oh yeah, I've heard about jobs like that before. And I'm like, what do you mean? It's like, yeah, it's too good to be true. So my excitement was a little bit uh, dampened, but you know, I remember my friend and said, Hey, just check it out. And so I, uh, I decided to just uh, make my own decision and, and uh, went to the training and checked it out and ended up in my first few weeks going back to my hometown to do practice appointments with my friends and family. For me that went well, but I came back to the city where I did the training and only had really a handful of referrals. And so
2: how far was your home from Calgary?
0: Uh, it was about an hour drive, but an, yeah, it was about an hour drive and I didn't have a car. So it wasn't like I was kind of on my own schedule and, and doing that. So I had gone home, borrowed the car from my parents to kind of do appointments in the hometown. But then by the time I got back to the city, I was like, Okay, so now I've gotten a few pay raises, which was kind of cool. But I was now having to like see if this was really going to work. And I started out with just a handful—five people—that were our typical target customers that I could practice with. And I got really good at recommendations from the beginning, and and started to build my base of leads. And and then uh, you know I kept getting recommendations, and I borrowed my boyfriend's car, and I used transit. And then within a couple months, I. Actually, um, I'd gotten about four pay raises. I had won a computer and 25 years ago. That was a really big deal. It was the first computer I owned. And then in four months I had earned, uh, just over $15,000 and won a scholarship for school. And it was a big deal. It was really a big deal for me to, to make that kind of
2: money. Outstanding. Mm-hmm. W- were there some challenges, uh, in your early days of doing appointments that you experienced and, and overcame?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I would say Selling in general, you know, the biggest challenge I think for me, in my first summer was the highs and lows and learning, learning to navigate, mm-hmm. uh, the law of averages, you know, so I would get really excited from a great sale, but I would be really bummed out when the, you know, when it didn't go well, learning how to navigate that part and controlling that with number of appointments and knowing that if I just got the, you know, 12 to 15 a week done, you know, the results at the end of the week were going to turn out. So I think for me, that was a big thing is learning how to navigate that. I didn't have a car. So for me in a big city, I never really took transit. So that, borrowing a car, trying to figure that out, you know, that was a challenge, but I found a way. And I didn't know the city that well. I was basically a student who lived two blocks off campus. And that was my world for my first few years, because I always went back to my hometown weekends and summers. And so, yeah, it was a new experience getting to know the whole city too. So it and, and made a lot of fun too.
2: Yeah, cool, cool. Now, as you advanced, I understand that, you know, started as a sales rep, you advanced into management, became the manager there in Calgary. Yeah. And, and then you have become literally one of the most prolific managers in the history of the company, one of the all time top producers, one of the most consistent producers. Were there some experiences along the way that you feel were truly transformational in your career where you learned uh, really valuable lessons that you could share?
0: Yeah. It's interesting how things um, fell together. And I, and I felt together sounds wrong because it sounds like it was luck and it's definitely not luck. But I'd say some of the big moments in the last 25 years, one was the first one was deciding that when I graduated with my university degree in business, that I made a decision to pursue being a district manager instead of pursuing something that was probably a bit safer. So, you know, where I lived, oil and gas is a pretty big part of the economy. And a lot of people I went to school with, that was the path is you got a business degree and you got a job in oil and gas. And that was to be an employee and to, you know, get something stable and guaranteed and, and follow that path. And I made the decision that I wanted to pursue. The opportunity I was presented was to run a district office with Vector. And I remember sitting with my mom and explaining to her, this is what I want to do. And she's like, are you sure? You don't want to get a, you don't know, work in one of the tall buildings downtown and, and don't, you don't want to do that? And I said, you know, I think I'll regret if I don't give this a shot. Put me through school. I have no debt from graduating now after I started with Vector. You know, I was able to pay for that. I really loved what I was doing. I was doing well. I liked the people. I was challenged and growing. And I was like, I seen other, other people do well. And I was like, man, what if I look back and go, I could have been great. I got to at least know. So I think that was a big decision was I had to move out of the city, move somewhere I didn't know, no guarantee in income. commission and trust the support team, right? And the training and the program that we provide people that it was going to go well. So I'd say that was a big one. I'd say the second transformation.
2: It's it's interesting. You know, let let me just make sure I I touch upon this with you. It's so interesting to think about that that secure path that people can choose, uh, which is sort of a known path. They kind of know what they're going to get for the most part but knowing what you're going to get also means like, you don't know how great something like there's not a huge upside uh, to what it could be. Whereas here you chose a path where you didn't exactly know what you're going to get, but you knew it was up to you and your own skills and your own work ethic. And that it could be something even greater, much greater. And obviously you've made it into something much greater. So yeah, it's cool yeah. That, you made that choice.
0: Yeah. And I think that a lot of it was based a bit too on because of the work ethic I put in and what I had learned, I'd done well to that point. So I'm like, It makes sense that if I continue, you know, this was on a bigger scale. I was investing my own money, right? This is just a bigger deal. So the second thing would be deciding not to quit after my first year as a district manager. So I remember very clearly opening up my office and my first summer went well. You know, I ended up upgrading my car at the end of the summer. I had an opportunity. I got promoted to move to a bigger city. at the end of my first summer, I promoted people. It was good. But I moved uh, an entire province over, twelve-hour drive away to another city, and um, back to the city I actually started in. Up and you know they knew I wanted eventually to be back where I started, and so I came back there. But with that moving, starting, and stopping, and building a team, and then leaving the team and starting over, it really had a big impact on my business, the financial part of the business, my momentum. They say the greatest force in business can be momentum, and also can be the thing that prevents us from moving forward. And so. I was in a position where going into my second summer, I was really financially not in a good place, like really poor place financially, as in my roommate was paying my personal rent. And I just made a decision. I I was kind of, I was at a fork in the road. Do I continue? Do I kind of just call it, hey, I gave it a shot. I just decided, okay, one more summer, I'm all in. I'm all in. And in August, I got to have, you know, X amount of dollars in my bank account. And I got to feel like I'm moving forward. And if I can say that by the time I get to the end of August, I- I'm going to continue. And so I just said, all in, and I went all in. And four months later, I had 20 grand in my bank account I had six manager candidates to run an office. I had assistant managers and I wasn't even considering, you know,
2: wow. anything else. Yeah. That's awesome. It was- you know, it, it seems like in life, there's so many times where we, we reach that crossroads and we think, you know, have I really put my best into something? And oftentimes when you, when you get to that point, there's always something more that you could have done. You could have put in that, that if you confront that and you get past that, uh, you're able to find some amazing success oftentimes. And, uh, there's a lot of stories like that, that I've heard of people that, uh, were at that crossroads and then realize, you know what, I really do this uh, and I'm all in, as you said, I can truly get what I want. So, and then, and then that happened for you. That's great. Yeah.
0: yeah. So I think that was, uh, that was big for me as a, as a big moment. And then I'd say that um, one other moment, I think, would be deciding to pursue having a family while staying in the business. I was quite fearful that this wasn't going to be a path for me, a career, that I could coincide being a mom uh, at the same time. Quite fearful. And I was because there was, up to that point in time, there was always somebody that was ahead that I could look to in the business to go, oh, they're doing it that way. Someone's doing it this way. But there, there was always some path. And in this situation, there was no path. So there wasn't a female at an executive level or just at a level running the business as a manager that was married, had kids, and was thriving. And for me, that was important. It wasn't just run the business and get by. It wasn't run the business and be great, but not be a great mom. It wasn't like I really wanted it all. And I remember arriving at a strategic leadership conference that we have annually. I was pretty excited because I was rooming with the only other executive level female in the business at that time at my level. And I got there, got to Miami, and then I found out she wasn't there uh, because she left the business to go have a family. And I was like, oh, so not awesome. And I remember that. And, And I'm one of the biggest fans of invest in yourself, personal growth seminars, do all that. And I remember having a decision to attend a Robin Sharma conference. It was called Your Awakening Best Self Weekend. And I, hands down, would be like all in. And I remember going, I don't want to go because I know if I go, I'm going to do the work. And if I do the work, I'm really scared the answer is going to be, you should quit your job, that you can't have both. And I was really worried. And I was like, well, I should just, I know I should go do this. So I went, we did this exercise. I came away from it thinking, all right, what if, just like when I ran, I'm like, "What, what if it works? So. I approached to uh, my national sales manager at the time and general manager, Dave and Joe, and shared my concerns. And they were honest and supportive. And the honesty came from, we don't have an answer for you. We don't know the path, but we're going to support you in the path. And we're going to support you because... And it was very empowering because it was like, we're going to support you. We're going to figure it out together. And there's a side joke to this is that I actually... I feel like I had more conversations with them than my husband about it. You know, it was like, I would go to Warren later and go, so I talked to Joe and he's like, well, that's cool. But, uh, you're having the kids with me. And I'm like, yeah, well, <laughs> it's kind of funny. But, but at the end of the day, they said, this could be Angie, if this works for you, you could really be in a position to set an example for so many other women that there's no reason this can't work. You know, we see men travel. We see men do all these other things outside of the business. Why can't you have a baby? Right. And so that was big. And in Canada, it was even bigger because if you're an employee in Canada, the maternity leave here is a year. It's not like three months. It's not six weeks. It's a year. And it's like 80% of your income. So all my friends, it wasn't like, well, do I, you know, is a decision of a family? It was, well, I'm going to get a year. and I'll come back to my job. So
2: Yeah. And to be clear, when you're running your office, you're running your division in Vector and Cutco, you're not an employee. You're like an independent business owner that owns your piece of the company. And so the buck stops with you. You're ultimately responsible. And that's what brings on some of this challenge.
0: 100%. So I just said, I got to create my own maternity leave. So I saved 30 grand so that my staff never felt like, oh, so if you don't, you know, business doesn't thrive, you know, I just wanted them to feel good. But I think we had created such a culture around standards and what was acceptable that even though we set it up, and you know, that's a whole other side story of being in control, having kids and all that part I was learning. But when it did happen, I had the money saved and I had planned on six months to be gone and I didn't need to touch the 30 grand. The staff stepped up and we didn't need to, and they were able to keep going and and developing and, and serving. And so, We had our daughter that next year. And so Ward and I were, we both actually stayed home and and, uh, raised our daughter and then came back to the business in an entirely different way. You know, I had, I realized how I could improve in time management before I had kids. I always said I was good. And then I had kids and I was like, actually, wasn't that good. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, because as soon as kids came along, I was like, oh, I can't just like, yeah, do that whenever I want. Actually, I really need to like, I should do it now. And, and you know, so that it was a very interesting dynamic for me. I changed some of the hours that I did. I, I worked a bit differently, but I think because of that, I also developed more leaders in the business as they really stepped up and, and uh, gave them more opportunity. And then as that evolved from that experience, we had our second child, we had our son and we continued to run the business at a really high level. I remember having our son and I think that was pretty close to the year that very close to, if it wasn't the year before or the year, yeah, the year right after that, we did a million dollars in the summer, which then was really big. And we did 2 million for the year. And there was a lot of moving parts, but I just remember feeling that I never wanted there to be an excuse as to why the business didn't thrive. It just wasn't about that. I didn't want someone later to say to me, well, when you had kids, this is what happened. And when you did this, and I said, no, it's, it's just not acceptable. And so I was really keen on making sure to do everything I could in my power, and we can't control everything, but everything I could to set up an environment where we were going to continue to thrive, and we were also going to continue to have a life really exciting outside of the business. And so, yeah, it was big.
2: That's awesome. Now, you know, Vector has a lot more women district managers now than I think we did back then. And personally, as a region manager, I would love to see some of them aspire to be able to advance and become a division manager and become an executive and stay in a a management role long term. What advice would you have? What input would you have for some of our young district managers who are women who are trying to advance in the business? Well,
0: first thing is, I 100% believe that truly, this is one of the best opportunities to be a parent, hands down, And the reason I think it is, is because we have control of our income. We're not limited by somebody else deciding what we can earn. We have a lot of flexibility in our schedule, being able to do things that, you know, to think about my husband and I both staying home. Like, that's kind of crazy. You know, when I think about that, I mean, I talk to people and they're like, well, there's no way we could have both stayed home. And I'm like, yeah, made enough money for us to both stay home and develop a staff that's still thriving, running the business. I remember attending presence banquet and bringing (laughs) my father, she four months old, I think to the event. So I just feel like that if we, as women make a decision and say, this is what I want. And I want to create this. The more that we share that, the more that I think people get tied into this opportunity to lead and to step up. It also gives purpose to what we're doing. You know, there's more urgency, to create systems. There's more urgency to save money. There's more urgency to get good at developing other people. Because we don't want, whether it's kids or something else, I don't think any of us really wants to run something that you have that, that's rising and falling 24-7 on you. We want something that, you know, can thrive and we want to be a part of it and we're running it and we we can influence everything. But we want to have people that are coming up in the business. And I think I've only been able to do what I've done because of focusing on off self on others and focusing on them and helping them thrive and creating opportunities. So, you know, saving money, knowing that this is a great place, buffering for that. And that's in any business, right? Like if you're going to be a business owner, whether it's here or somewhere else, you got to save money. So when you're making a lot, you got to save it because we have ups and downs in business. And that can't be a reason. I don't think why this wouldn't work develop a staff, save money, get clear on what you want. And you will attract different people to the organization. I promise. I really believe that. I think they don't necessarily need to have kids to be attracted to what you're doing. But they want to know that your life is, is not it's not just work. Your life is full. And I can plug and play what I want in there.
2: Yeah. You know, I always tell people that we work to live. It's not that we live to work, right? Yeah. And the fact that you've been able to build an amazing life, an amazing lifestyle, in addition to working and the other things you do, and we'll get into talking about uh, one of the other things you do here in a second. It's inspiring. And I'm sure it's a big part of why you've attracted so many great people who want to be around you and have helped you, you know, build up your, your organization. So.
0: Yeah. And the last thing I'll just say on that is that I've always felt that I've had equal opportunity to advance in vector. Now there wasn't a path. For me to go oh that's how this woman did it but i never felt held back that i didn't have the ability because i was a female and and i i question myself sometimes because i, I just have never felt that so i feel like i maybe grew up in a bubble a bit and i know that it's odd because when we look at numbers back then there wasn't a lot of you know there wasn't that level of females at that level and i can't speak to that but i feel very fortunate that the culture i came up in i always felt that i could compete on any level, regardless. I'm really grateful for that.
2: That's fantastic. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing that, Angie. I I really like that. I want to talk a little bit about one of your biggest interests outside of the business, which is triathlon. And as I understand it, you have completed several Ironman (laughs) triathlons. So there's people that compete in triathlon that, you know, do the three disciplines. And then, then there's the Ironman, which I've heard is you first, you swim two and a half miles, then you bike 112 miles, and then you run 26 miles. Right. And and, and I was thinking about this, Angie, and I was thinking about, all right, I don't think I could swim two and a half miles. I'm pretty sure I can bike 112 miles. I suppose I might be able to get through 26 miles if walking was a possibility. 100. percent. However, doing one after the other, after the other in succession, that is definitely not on my agenda. Like that is just <laughs> crazy. So tell us about triathlon and uh, what it's like running an Ironman. How'd you get into it?
0: Okay, how'd I get into it? Well, this is a great example, I think, of we become the sum of the five people we spend, the, spend a lot of time with right this is what i think because in university one of my closest dearest friends when we graduated got into triathlon and i remember her talking about it and watching her and we ended up going to cheer her on at Ironman Canada and this is you know 2001 probably 2002 somewhere around there and i remember watching this race and watching all the the professionals at the race the amateurs the all different sizes and ages and people i was so inspired i remember leaving it going someday someday I'm going to do this. And at that point, just to be clear, I couldn't swim more than a couple hundred meters really. And I'd never done anything like this, but I was like, this is so inspiring. Someday I want to do this. So time goes by, life goes on. I have my first child and then I say, okay, this is the time I'm going to do a sprint triathlon. So the smallest version you can, I find the way to do it. My husband's worried. I might not get out of the water. I'm the second last out of the lake, (laughs) you know? I get out, and get on my bike and pass a bunch of people. I finish it, right? And I do it. I'm like, ah, oh, that's cool. That was it. Then I have my second kid. And then after that, I was like, okay, time to get moving on this thing. So I did an Olympic distance. And I was like, okay. So, you know, 1500 meter uh, swim with a 40K bike and a 10K run. So I was like, okay. And that was really hard. I did that. But I thought, okay, so now it's time to put the plan together where, you know, I start thinking about what's next. And a colleague of mine, Fellow division manager Wes Goddard had just done just recently his first Ironman, and he was planning his second. And I remember him sending me a message saying, "Hey, you know, you've talked about this. You should sign up. We're going to do Coeur d'Alene. And I went and looked. I'm like, "Where's Coeur d'Alene? And then I found out. I'm like, "Hey, it's a six and a half hour drive from my house. I don't have to fly anywhere. I could drive down with my bike." I was like, "Hey," I went on the website, and I swear to goodness, I saw that it said 70.3, which is the half Ironman, and I was like, "Oh, that's going to be a big deal." So. So that's a huge deal for me. I, I'm going to do it. So Wes is like, you got to sign up. It's going to sell out. And I was like, okay. So I go back and I'm like, where's the 70.3? I'm like, what the, it was only a full distance. And I was like, <laughs> what is up? So I text him and I'm like, yeah, dude, it's like only a full, like I, I can't, I've only done an Olympic. I can't even, I have only. I've never done that. You know, in true West fashion, as yes, he responds. I already knew the response was going to be like results or reasons. You know, you're either going to have a reason you're not, or you're going to do it. You gave me all these, you know, and I'm like, you've already done a multiple halves. You've done a full, you're not even understanding. So of course it sits in my ear for like my head for three days. I can't get it off my head. I'm like, do I do? I, this was not the plan. So then I go home and I'm like, Warren, am I thinking I should do this? Cause I don't want Wes to like razz me or am I doing this because I really think I should do this. So at the time I had a coach for my uh, Olympic distance and I called him and I was like, what do you think? It's June. It was July, actually. I think it was. The race is next June. What do you think? He goes, Well, what I know about you, what I know about your family, the age of your kids, your job, you know, your life, I know that you can do this. You won't perform at your best ability, but you can do it. And I was like, All I need to know from you is that I can get across the finish line. That's what I need to know. And I said, Do you think I seriously can do it? The training, I can't swim really. Like, do you think I can do it? He goes, You can do it. And I was like, oh, Fine. And the funny thing is, I was like, okay, next year's my 40th birthday, same year, and the stars are aligning, I should just do this. And when you kind of asked me this question, I looked back at a blog that I'd started in this process, and I called a friend of mine, really good friend of mine, John Roman, he was also business life coaching me at the time, and I told him what I decided to do, and he said, Angie, I'm jealous of the person you're going to become in the results of making this big decision in your life, the minute you commit to the decision is the second your life will never be the same. Mm. And I was like, you know, that true John, John fashion. Right. And I was like, and then I thought about it and I was like, this is really the reason I'm doing this. I want to lead people. I want to lead through action. I want to show my kids that when you put your mind to something and work hard, anything's possible. I want to be a better version. I know proximity is power. I know that these People in the community I live in; these track athletes are positive, healthy, fit, inspiring. Business, like I was like, I want more of that in my life, and and I have a lot of that in Vector. But I was like, man, this is different. You know, the quote in my email is, "Be the change you wish to see in the world." And I'm like, time to kind of step up. You know, I need to do this, and I need to take the advice I've been giving everyone that I work with, which is set a goal, get a coach, learn from the best, get a plan, write that goal down in as many places as possible, have a why. You know, get clear, follow through. And I remember that we only grow when we're challenged. And I knew this was my time to uh, to get challenged.
2: Yeah. Wow. Wow. It's so awesome that you were able to draw inspiration from some other people to give you the confidence that you could do it. I I think that we all need that in our lives, right? We need somebody who's there to tell us, yeah, you can do this, right? Because I think self-doubt is a very natural part of human nature. You know, yeah. and when your coach or Warren or Wes or John Broman or whoever, you know, all of them combined, we're telling you, yeah, you can do this. Uh, yeah. It's a lot easier to believe in in ourselves in, in a case like that. And uh, that John Bromanism, the minute you commit to the decision.
0: Oh, is the, is the second your life is no longer the same.
2: <sighs> and it's so
0: true. I mean, it's so true. Everything changed after that. Everything, you know, what you focus on expands. Like my schedule changed, my focus changed, everything it just changed and made that decision uh, to do it. As, see, some people say to me, oh, I can't swim. I go, I'm not kidding when I tell you, I could not swim more than 200 meters without stopping. And I needed to be in a pool, not a lake. And so I got a swim coach. I mean, I had a traveling coach who lived 45, about a half hour away from me, but I needed somebody at the pool. So I basically really learned to legit swim. You know, I could survive if I had to, but like not this, you know? So I, I learned how to just involve other people, ask for help, get a plan, trust people. Yeah.
2: Wow, and, and you know, 200 meters is what you were starting at. The like that was hard, and then the distance, the Ironman distance is like 4,000 meters. Is that correct?
0: 3,800. 3, 3,800. Yeah. yeah 3.8 k. Yeah, exactly. So it was a wow. uh, yeah. That was the biggest worry for me, really. I and and I'd never ridden that far, and I'd never run a marathon before. But like you know, you'd, I mean, I could walk. You know, I was like, I could at least walk. But I was. And the thing with an Ironman is there's a cutoff for the swim time. If you don't make the cutoff, you can't get on the bike. And so that was something I learned through this process was you can plan everything, but there's things that happen. And my swim on my first Ironman anyway, I ended up in the medical tent. I got hypothermia and I almost missed the cutoff. And I remember being like, no, get on the bike. No matter how you feel, get on the bike. And I got on the bike and... some of the things that when I think about what's this taught me, this being in triathlon and Ironman, what is, how has it affected my life is to be focused on what you can control right now in the moment. So often in triathlon, I found that I'd be in the swim thinking about the run being like, Oh my gosh, if I can't get through this, how am I going to do the run? Right. So I learned to just, you know, be in this moment. So I think in my life, you know, sometimes I get caught up in, Oh, where do we want to be at the end of the summer? I'm like, Focus now, in this moment, right now, what action can I take? What can I control? Right? To not get so dragged into that and learn through that experience, uh, was really important. Also, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. Every race I've done almost the swim is not my like it's not the thing I'm the best out of the three. So it's a head game with me because I get out of the swim and you know, a lot of bikes are gone on the rack, and it's like But then I turn it into something else because it gets a little fun for me to chase people down the bike. And then I realize, okay, now I'm on the bike, you know, and then I get on the run and, you know, people will say to me, oh, great bike. And I'll say, solid swim, (laughs) you know, and I just learned how to navigate this. It's never how you start. It is how you finish, you know, and also that there is a physical fitness aspect, obviously to doing an endurance level sport, but so much more is mental. I've learned to be careful what you say to yourself because you're always listening and don't listen to everything you say and your body can do a lot more than your mind tells it can do. And I've learned that, that when I'm in that sport, I've also learned that just in life is that, you know, I really have to be conscious of how I speak to myself and what I choose to pay attention to and what I don't, you know, because you can set me in two different directions and, I've also learned being nervous or a bit uncomfortable is a sign that you're in the right spot. It's okay. It's okay to be in that feeling. You know, this could be a good place direction you're going to get around people that are better than you and are supportive. So not just better, but supportive. Sometimes that I found that's given me a guidepost and can help with where I want to be. I've learned through the sport that we can do anything we want. If we have the passion to find a way, And the last couple of things is that, uh, the journey is equally. And I think actually more rewarding than the race itself. So you need to enjoy the journey. The training time for my first Ironman was harder than the race by far. There was drug juggling things. There was, there was rides that I just didn't go, didn't do well. There was questioning my abilities. I got injured. I got sick and I didn't know, is that going to affect things? Just, and then, uh, age is just a number. We're never too old to try something we're never too young either because of what I did with triathlon with Ironman. Then I, after that, I was like, you know, I'm going to learn about bike, like, and really learn about bike. And I'm going to do on this cyclocross thing that I've never done. And, you know, I think I've set myself up a, and it's not automatic. I still need to like, I can fall back on that and go, Hey, I did that. I can probably do this with the right training, the right, right environment. Yeah.
2: Wow. There was so much gold in what you just said. The importance of what we tell ourselves mm-hmm. such a critical piece of our success. Like We're programming our minds all the time in it, it, with everything we say, and it, it's so important to be conscious of that. And then um, when you said if you're nervous, you're in the right spot, I can remember when I first started with Cutco. And vector marketing, I was in my interview, and I was very shy, and I didn't have very good people skills. And as I was watching the interview and thinking about how the job worked, my first thought was, I can't do this. And then at the end of the interview, I had to wait for a while for the manager to talk to me. It was was a small group of people there. And during that while that I was waiting, that I can't do this transitioned into, this is exactly what I need to do because it's exactly what will help me come out of my comfort zone, learn things that I want to learn and grow. And I can see the parallel with that with triathlon and and what you've done in pursuing triathlon. Like, that's fantastic. That's awesome. These days, who or what uh, is most inspiring to you now?
0: On a professional level, I would say Joe Cardillo, who I work with, you know, weekly, daily. He inspires me because he continues to see the best in people and see them better than they are. You know, he really, really always sees the best in people. And uh, that it really inspires me. And I would say uh, my family. I'm really inspired by my kids because I want to be the best version I can for them. I want to create experiences that we'll remember forever. And I also want to be present to the moments that really matter. So they inspire me to keep working on myself to be able to be that person that that mom that I want to be and to be the wife that I want to be to my husband.
2: Yeah. That's great. That's great. Now, the theme of this show that we're doing here is is changing lives, selling knives. It's all about the impact we can have on others. And Angie, as you look ahead in your career, in your life, what are some of the ways that you aspire to change people's lives through your work or through your influence?
0: I aspire to continue to create a place in Vector where people can learn they can grow and they can dream. And what I mean by that specifically is from me experiencing as a sales rep uh, and how that impacted me, you know, I think even just from one summer doing this, I went back to university in the fall and I volunteered to do all the public speaking for group work, which before that, by the way, I hated it. I I loathed public speaking. And one summer changed me drastically. So I really want to create an environment where people can learn how to sell, I think sales skills are so valuable, especially today, even more than they were. I think that people need to be in an environment where they are selling themselves and selling an idea face-to-face with people. It's too easy. There's too many other ways to do it. And I think that this skill matters. I want to create a place where they can learn to communicate effectively, to work in a team, to build a thriving business. I want them to learn how to manage money, build wealth and to develop really skills that they'll take with them for life, no matter how long they are part of our program and our company. I want them to grow personally, professionally, financially. I want them to learn how to manage their energy and their emotions. I want them to take responsibility for their results. I want people to walk away or continue to work with us and increase their standards for their health and to build a life that's exciting outside and inside. So I have to have a full circle business. And life. I want them to professionally to be able to build a business, whether as a career sales rep or as a manager, where they have multiple layers of development, multiple levels of sales channels to get experience that'll separate them from the rest and to be a part of an organization that also values giving back to the community and that they're a part of not just giving back financially, but being a part of the community that they live in. And then the last thing is to to really dream is I want them to. If they don't already, I want them to make it a part of their life to make a dreams list. I want them to have a list. I want them to check things off. We want to help them. We instituted a program just recently called our, our Cutco Dream Dollars. And so our managers and our reps can earn Cutco Dream Dollars towards a dream account. And then we're going to help them to fulfill the dreams they have on their list. Is you know, I want them to look back and go, man, that place I worked with or that I work now, I matter. Not just money, but you know, I matter too, is that I'm thriving as a person. When I think about dreams, I think they bring hope. And to quote John again, Roman is, he has uh, said many times, you know, hope brings power to the present moment. And I feel like that's so important for us to have power today and, and what's pulling us forward. So I want them to be in an environment where they continue to dream and think big. And on that note, because of the quality people that I've met here in this business, I feel that I've gotten exposed to thinking about contribution and giving back on Whole another level. You know, I was uh, introduced to Front Row Foundation many years ago in 2005 when John first started it, John Roman. And I was a raving fan the whole time and I thought it was fantastic. And I loved everything is about uh, where the charity basically gives people that are braving a critical life illness in order to see their Front Row experience. Uh, we have a Front Row experience with their dream musician, a concert, a sporting event. And that's done so that they can set aside for that day any physical and emotional pain they're feeling to celebrate the energy of life and to have that transform really them and their, their significant others and people that are important to them. And Warren and I were thinking, you know, man, it'd be great to be able to have people in Canada to be able to give money to people in Canada because it was just, it was a US based charity. And so nine years ago, we uh, did what we needed to do. It took a couple of years to get it set up. And so we've been now running the chapter in Canada. And we've been able to help people have a variety of experiences from uh, New Zealand Rugby World Cup to Broadway Theater in New York City to personal meet and greets of NHL hockey players and, and um, a lot of concerts. So uh, I feel like that's a result of the people in this business, me doing that. I, and I don't think I would have said, yeah, I should do that if it wasn't the culture that's invo- created in Vector about how do we give back, how do we grow, how do we help other people? you know, it's not just about us, but how do we, how do we make a difference in other people's lives?
2: Awesome. Awesome. Well, Angie, I think that you and I would both uh, say that we've been very lucky to be around some amazing people and such an amazing culture. And truly you have been one of the people who has most helped to create that culture. Now, I just want to acknowledge you for all that you've done in this business as a leader, uh, as a pioneer among women in the business. And as somebody who has been, as I mentioned, one of our top performers, one of our most consistent performers, one of Cutco's most consistent performers for for many, many years, there's a difference between a role model and a mentor. And I feel like you are both. Uh, you're a mentor for so many young people who work with you. You're a role model for our entire organization. And uh, and as your story uh, gets told, uh, you're a role model for so many others who get to know you and get to hear your story and, and can be inspired by what you've accomplished. So. I just want to acknowledge you and say thank you very much for taking some time to be able to do this interview. I've, I've, I feel like uh, this has been awesome and I'm very grateful uh, for your time and for your wisdom.
0: Thank you. I appreciate you organizing this and taking the time to do it, you know, to reach out and we need to share this with more people. We have yeah. a really amazing organization that it's not just a saying, we really do change lives. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Fantastic. Well, thanks again, Angie. I appreciate it. and I'll look forward to seeing you at a future event.
0: Cool. Sounds great.
2: G MacDougall. That was awesome. I trust that uh, you have highly enjoyed uh, the last uh, 35, 40, 45 minutes, whatever that was right there. Uh, That was really great. So many good nuggets. So many awesome lessons in the experience of triathlon and taking on a challenge and pushing herself to do something that was beyond what she originally expected to be able to do. Uh, great lessons in her experiences of having a family while being an independent business owner and attempting to juggle that and balance that and the benefits of being an independent business owner, you know, in that phase of life and what it does provide versus just looking at what the challenges are. And the quote that really resonated with me the most is when she said, it's the moment you commit to a decision is the second that your life is no longer the same. And I would just encourage you, if you're watching this right now, to think about what's a decision that maybe you've put off. What's something you've been thinking of doing in your life that you could do and making the commitment that you're going to move in that direction. It's time. It's time. Why not you? And why not now? Uh, I'll leave you with that. Thanks a lot for watching, everyone. Look out for some other great episodes that are coming out with some other awesome Cutco executives, as well as some of our most amazing Cutco
1: and Vector Marketing alumni. Take care, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode of Changing Lives, Selling Knives, please consider rating or reviewing us on your podcast player and hit the subscribe button so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. For access to guest bios, show notes, and other resources, visit changinglivespodcast.com. You can sign up there to receive valuable resources for free from people featured on the podcast. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. We'll be back in a few days for our next story about changing lives.